In the mid-2000s, we saw a move towards surgical quality improvement. There was the Surgical Care Improvement Project, or SCIP, and other efforts to reduce surgical site infections. And there was the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program, or NESQIP. But getting actionable data around surgery care and outcomes is critical to drive optimal quality and financial performance. In this episode, we'll discuss about how cutting-edge analytics allow you unprecedented insights into this important group of patients. To do this, we welcome back Dr. Rick May. Rick, it's great to have you back. Well, thanks, Tom. It's great to be here again. So tell us a little bit about your background and your current role here at Vizian. Well, real briefly, Tom, I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon. I spent most of my life taking care of people that had fallen off buildings or gotten hit by cars or stomped by horses. That was kind of my life for a long, long time. I did that for about 20 some years here in Denver and then transitioned over to doing consulting work about 15 years ago. And right now I head up a great team of people who do all of the clinical quality improvement consulting for Vizian. So Rick, when it comes to surgical quality, doesn't the Nesquik pretty much sum it all up? <laughs> oh, Nesquik is a great tool. It's amazingly well-researched, millions of cases included, which is fantastic. I think the challenge that the hospitals have told us about the Nesquik is a couple of different things. One really has to do with the fact that the Nesquik data is sampled, meaning that it captures great information on a very limited number of patients, usually roughly 20% or so of a hospital's population of patients. So that's one challenge. You get great data, but not on every patient, not on even most of the patients. The second piece is that you have to submit the data into NISQIP and then wait several months to get the information back. And what hospitals have told us is that kind of a process, especially trying to do pretty quick turnaround and talk with their physicians to really understand what's happening, it just makes the system unwieldy to a certain extent. And I should be clear, I think NISQIP is a fantastic database. I think the work they put into is amazing. I've just been sort of surprised at how so many hospitals express the fact they just get frustrated with it because they can't use it effectively for quality improvement. Yeah, I can certainly see that. But what are the biggest deficits you see with surgery quality today? We're trying to track data in general. In the past, there haven't been really great tools to track surgery quality. And there's a couple of challenges with that. If you look at the sort of current tools that are out there, all the sort of data systems available, whether that's through like CMS or even other private data systems, it's really organized in a way that is not really intuitive to surgeons and other physicians that work in the surgery world and surgery nurses and surgery service line directors. They have a different perspective. They want to see things a different way. And there just hasn't been a very great system up until now about how to do that. And there's some fundamental problems. A lot of times the data is organized around DRGs, which if you're familiar with DRGs, a lot of times are not granular enough. Mm -hmm. There's also been a big focus on past systems on things like focus on mortality and also length of stay and readmissions. And it'll sound weird. As it turns out, the surgeons actually don't care that much about mortality. And people always look at me funny when I say that. But if you think about it, mortality in surgery today is actually a relatively rare occurrence, which is fantastic. And when it does occur in a lot of cases, it's actually what they're to be expected. Meaning the patients come in, they're very sick. Sometimes you're doing salvage procedures. So because of those reasons, it's not a great metric. You one thing that's happening more commonly that has a bigger impact, I think, on overall current performance and certainly applies to a much broader range of patients. You know, Rick, you and I do a lot of work around the country on this, and I found that lots of times it's even documentation that ends up leading to some of those deficiencies. What are your thoughts? Well, there's always a double edge about documentation, Tom, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> Drives the physicians bananas. Mm -hmm. We hate doing the documentation, especially because there's so many rules about how specific you have to be and everything else. But at the same time, it's so critical to do a good job of that documentation because one, you want to get credit for, frankly, the kind of patients you're taking on. If you're not documenting well, it makes you look like you're taking on super healthy patients. And if things go wrong, it makes you look really bad. But I always emphasize the point that the way that the documentation models are designed for the most part is to say, hey, we've identified these risk factors which really do impact 
impact outcomes, whether that's mortality or complications or other bad things. The better job we can do of capturing that information and making sure that our system, meaning our surgeons, our other physicians, our nurses, everyone we work with understands those risk factors and understand the patients that have them, it increases our ability to manage those risk factors and improve care for the patients. So yeah, the documentation is a bother and I think all of us kind of hate having to mess with it, but at the same time, there's really a lot of very good valid reasons to put in the time and effort to get it right. Yeah, it's certainly something that we need to continue working on. So Rick, as a surgeon and someone who works with surgeons on quality improvement projects all the time, what would you describe to be your perfect system? Well, I'll tell you, Tom, I spent a lot of time over the years talking with surgeons about what they want to see. Mm-hmm. And surgeons, I just talked to an interesting group. Surgeons are a mixed bag, right? I mean, there's certainly a challenge with surgeons. We can be arrogant at times. We can be cocky at times. The biggest thing about surgeons is the fact that they are very high-performing people. They want to do well. Right. So if you can present information to them that is focused on the things that they care about, what they consider to be believable, that's relevant, these are not folks that are going to take suboptimal performance lightly. Every single surgeon that I've ever worked with, they all want to be A students. And if you show them a really viable believable data, they will respond to it. They will move to get better. So when it comes to this kind of surgeon, what are you talking about? What do surgeons need to see? Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. One, as I mentioned, the mortality focus is not a horrible, bad thing to have, but it really is not what surgeons need to see. Really focus on complications. If you think about complications, how important that is in the surgery world, complications are going to add resources. They're going to add lengths of stay. They're going to add costs. They increase the risk of bad outcomes, both short-term and long-term. They increase the risk of reoperations. And also on top of that, from a surgeon standpoint, you don't like to be seen as producing a lot of complications in your patients. You don't want to have to go back to families and explain all the stuff that went wrong. The surgeons see themselves as A players, so they really care deeply about complications. That's what we really focus on with a lot of our analyses. You know, you bring up a memory of where I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Caprini early on in my career when it comes to DVTs. Cool. And he enlightened me on the surgeon mindset where he said, Tom, a clot is an act of God, but a bleed (laughs) is a complication to me. Is that what you're trying to say here? Well, there's another thing Dr. Capri mentioned. There's a saying among surgeons, and they talk about the captain of the ship doctrine, which basically means when it comes to the OR, as soon as you make the choice as a surgeon to roll a patient back to the operating room, everything that happens in that room or the patient afterwards, you own it all. You are the captain of the ship. You are ultimately responsible for everything. So I would say that all respect to Dr. Caprini, even if it's an act of God, you still are responsible for making it right. (laughs) So whatever happens. But it's interesting. We make a point about this a lot. There are some technical complications which are truly in the hands of a surgeon, right? If you put a trocar through the AOR, or if you do a bad job of closing a wound or controlling hemostasis and you get a bleed, that's really technical stuff. What's fascinating about the complication we see today is there's 10 times more medically related complications, things like a DVT, things like renal failures, things like cardiac complications, things like delirium, that are much more directly tied to the patient's medical conditions. Not that surgeons are not responsible for them, they certainly are, but it's interesting that surgeons tend to focus on their own technical prowess as the best measure of their outcomes, because it turns out the medical issues are actually much, much more important in the overall complication profile for most hospitals. So does that suggest that actually preoperative or perioperative optimization of care is what's necessary to improve in your quality? Oh, Tom, you're so good at teaming up for the beautiful questions. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We make this point. In this day and age, unless your surgeons are hacks, which hospitals don't need us to tell them if their surgeons aren't skilled, really the focus in terms of driving quality outcomes is exactly like you talked about, Tom. It's all about having a great perioperative system in place. And if you look at really how the highest performing hospitals in the country get there, obviously they have to have good technical surgeons, no question about that. But on top of it, they have to have a fantastic system that early on really does a great job of preoperative evaluation, really asks the right questions, understands the patient, not just from a physical standpoint, not from a medical standpoint, but also looking 
looking at things like behavioral health issues, social determinants of health, a really a broad-based evaluation. And then on the upside too as well is really build into that system a way to optimize those conditions that may be concerning in terms of producing more complications. And I always tell people, if you can do that part right, if you have a great preoperative process, if you manage those issues and get people optimized before they ever come to your hospital, that's the single best factor to really drive quality outcomes when it comes to surgery. So in what ways do surgeons actually vary in how they address quality then, Rick? Oh, Tom, it's all over the map, as you might imagine. Yeah. We have some surgeons that are very head down in what they do. They really have said to themselves, you know what? So long as what I do with my magical hands in the operating room goes well, then everything else is going to be terrific. They tend to really focus on their own personal abilities, which is a great thing to do. But really what we like to see in surgeons this day and age especially is can take on that idea of the captain of the ship a little more broadly. You're going to not just manage what's happening in the OR from door in to door out. You're going to look really at the whole entire process and recognize, again, so long as you're a good technical surgeon and not messing up to any significant degree, that really the ultimate way to manage your patients is to look more broadly, to work with your quality teams to understand the data, to work with your colleagues from anesthesia and hospital medicine, to really understand, again, what's that preoperative process look like? How are the patients being optimized? What are the postoperative care teams look like? In my mind, that's the consummate surgeon that you're looking everything sort of soup to nuts from way before the patient comes to the hospital to several months after they leave. That's what, in my mind, a high quality, really top of their game surgeon should be looking at today. And how about the hospitals? Hospitals, same thing. I think the key is to look beyond the doors of the OR. A lot of times we work with hospitals now, we have a huge focus on saying, hey, let's look at our post-operative care. It looks like we're getting too many infections or maybe too many renal failures. Let's look at our order sets that happen basically after the patient leaves the operating room. And these numbers are hard to judge exactly, but I've heard people say anecdotally that probably 60 to 70% of your opportunity for quality improvement actually happens before the patient ever leaves the operating room. You've got to get those upfront pieces right. You've got to be able to have, again, a great preoperative process, the evaluation, the optimization. And then once you get that great data on a patient, you've got to have some way to have your system modify the care that you're going to provide to that patient based on that patient's unique risk profile. When you bring all that together, those are the hospitals that you really see at the very top of every list. Who are the best in the country? Do they have great surgeons? Yeah, but ultimately they have really, really sophisticated perioperative medicine systems. Okay, great episode one. I want to thank Rick for joining us, and he'll return next episode to continue our discussion. And if you'd like to contact Rick, we've placed his email in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice, or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks for listening.